0: Sales Tuners, episode 40. David Dulaney, founder at TenBound.
1: What are the three things that the sales development team is promising to deliver as far as title, pain point, they accepted the calendar invite, etc.? And then what are the three things that the salesperson is promising to do?
0: This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from, from $1 million million to more than $10 million, $10 million in just two years. All I do is we- It's time. It's time. It's time. It's sales sooners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host. And our weekly inspiration comes from Margaret Peters, who said, time has a wonderful way of showing us what really matters. I'm going off script and getting a bit personal this week. A few days ago, I had to say goodbye to Gonzo, my 11-year-old yellow lab. It's been much harder than I would have ever imagined. Gonzo filled my family's life with so much joy and happiness. And all he ever wanted in return was our love and time. As success goes, I know how hard it is to balance professional progress with spending time with those who give us our true happiness. Oftentimes, we just say we're too busy. But as my wife and I took Friday off to share memories of Gonzo, it made me wish I would have spent a little less time on work and a little more time with my puppy dog. I encourage you all to take some time this week to let someone know how much you really care about them. Okay, Joining me today on the show is David Delaney, founder of Tenbound, a consultancy focused on sales development and putting an end to the silent sales floor. He's also the host of the Sales Development Podcast that I highly recommend you check out on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. David has spent over a decade in sales, with half of that time creating and leading sales development teams at Glassdoor, Cisco, and Acton. He grew up reading the encyclopedia for fun, lives his life with tremendous gratitude is inspired by Monk Mr. Fuller, and told me he enjoys growing colored greens. All right, make sure you stick around until the end, where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com 40. But now, let's get to the conversation, where David explains how trial and error became his game plan for life.
1: So I live just south of San Francisco in a a town called Daly City. It's only known for one thing. There's an In-N-Out burger. Um, It's actually known for two. There's an In-N-Out burger, and and it's incredibly foggy about 360 days out of the year. Um, And I tried to grow everything that I could in the front yard. Um, Nothing would take, but I stuck a collard green (laughs) Root or a plant or something in the ground. And the thing has grown tremendously. And now, you know, I go out um, in the morning before my smoothie, take a few clips and uh, wash it off and throw it in because it's incredibly nutritious. And uh, anybody is looking for something that actually
0: grows in Daly City, check out Collard Grades. So is it really more about the fact that you could successfully grow it than uh, actually trying to grow the plant? <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Right. It's trial and error, man. I mean, I, I, that's 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 my uh, that's my game plan for life. All right, all right. So, hey, the, the first thing that I want to talk about today, uh, David, is your sales process today, right? So, what is Ten Bound, and how does someone decide to buy from you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, something that I've noticed over the last few years is um you walk around the sales floor especially as it comes to sales development so that's going to be your sales development team your lead development team your account development team whatever you want to call it you kind of walk around and it's dead silent on the sales floor and i could not i you know i i couldn't figure out what was going on i'm talking to vps of sales ceos heads of marketing they're walking around going why is it so quiet in here? It's supposed to be busy, you know. We're talking. We're supposed to be talking to prospects, talking to customers. What's going on? And um, I, you know, I set out to to solve that challenge and really understand why it's so quiet and what is actually going on um, in sales development. And um, you know, when I in- initially started Ten Bound, I was just approached by people that I had worked with in the past, going you know, how can we improve our sales development program? How can we improve the management and the strategy of our sales development program? Um, we, you know, we come in and and open up the hood and do a diagnostic and figure out what the heck is going on. And more and more, you know, I kept getting, um, I was, lo- you know, living off inbound leads, which we'll talk about, but I kept going in and it was always the same thing. People were trying to figure out sales development and what was going on. And um, it was just opened up a niche. And, you know, a year later, it's a thriving business.
0: Yeah, that's that's awesome. And uh, you, you talked about the silent sales floor, and I want to get a lot into that today. Um, but 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 here here's the thing. So let's go way back. Right. So first off, in this show, as you know, we talk about the behaviors, attitudes and techniques that have led to your success. Right. So you haven't always been the David of today. So I want to go way back. How did you even get into sales?
1: <laughs> yeah. The Wayback Machine, right? That's what you called it. That's so, right. Um, let's, let's take a walk down memory lane. So I, um, you know, I, I'm not sure how people feel about this guy, but I think he's been discredited. But I was very, very influenced um, around the 2000s by a guy named Robert Kiyosaki. And, you know, people kind of love him or hate him, but he came out with a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, it's like the number one best-selling financial planning book or whatever for years since it came out. And, uh, you know, one of the things that really struck me in that book was, you got to learn how to sell. And, you know, for any sort of business career, it really life skill, um, one of his key points was, no matter what you end up doing, entrepreneurship, business uh nonprofit uh, you know dealing with your kids dealing with their family the community you have to learn how to sell that's thing number 1 and and so i looked at that and said you know what would be the the best way for me to to learn this skill because really naturally um you know i'm i'm pretty uh introverted and shy and and it's hard for me to you know walk up to strangers at a party i'm definitely not your like stereotypical salesperson and i was like how do i get this skill and and um, be able to you know learn this keynote skill in my career so i uh, started applying to different companies um and i got into a company called achieve global which um, you know at that time was one of the top sales training and management training companies and uh, they had a key um you know a key product called professional selling skills and when I got that interview I was like, "Oh my god, it just felt like, you know, things are, you know, lining up behind um, you know, what what I'd been reading." So, got the job. I ended up selling for them for 6 years and uh, you know, going through every single one of their classes like, you know, prospecting skills, selling skills, account management, customer success, all this stuff and just got a really great foundation and um, you know, I, I use it I use professional selling skills every day I it's it was a great program so
0: you said a couple of things there uh, David that that well first off I still got Robert Kiyosaki's rich dad poor dad on on my shelf and I think I read cash flow quadrant and and you know, all those different books that that he wrote um so that that concept of you have to learn how to sell I'm going to be honest. That's what one of the things that got me into this world of entrepreneurship as well. Like I started my career wanting to be a graphic designer. And when I started reading these books, I realized, wait a minute, the person who sells the design work actually gets paid more than the person who does the design work. I like this gig. Um, So I, I love that that was one of your early influences, whether or not he's been discredited to me. Hey, it's about mindset. And that mindset helped both of us. It sounds like, but you talked about being naturally introverted and shy and and I was totally with you until you said, I'm not the stereotypical salesperson. And I, I want to challenge that because I feel like that notion of what a salesperson is supposed to be, the stereotype of what a salesperson is supposed to be, is not accurate. And, and to me, the best salespeople are are almost more introverted and shy. Like they're not, maybe not shy, but they are introverted. I am an introvert and no one believes me on that, but I know because I reclaim my energy when I'm by myself without it. Right. So I can go put on the show, but I get drained by putting on the show after some period of time. So, I mean, w- when you say that, like, is that, um, is it, a, is it a defeating nation or nature that you say that in, or what are your, what are your thoughts when you say that out loud?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I would, um, I would say that it does a major disservice to the sales profession, and it, one thing that the first thing that comes to mind, Jim, is that if you look at the, you know, thousands of universities that are in the country, um, and the thousands of people that are going to be graduating here in May and June, um, there's just a handful that have university level accredited sales. Majors or you know accredited certifications that you can get as a subset of marketing and that's does a huge disservice and so what I'm trying to get at is by having the the stereotype that I brought up um, in our society still of like your fast talking like hustler salesperson who's trying to you know slam the deal closed without you know listening and you know being like that um, I you know that that does a huge disservice to to us because sales is an awesome profession i i've had that we've got like sales boot camps out here that are springing up in san francisco where people can come in and learn to be a professional salesperson you know they can go through a sandler training to learn to become a uh, professional salesperson and it it it, that stereotype i think really holds us back because it's still you know it brings back that image of like a used car salesman stereotype which I think that we need to blow up. So, um, yeah, that's my thought on it.
0: Yeah. I, I love that because I mean, you're right. The, the professional salesperson of today's world, if you even pretend to be like that, you know, slicked back hair, uh, used car salesman, you're going to fail, uh, in, in today's world with professional buyers. So, okay. So I love that. So you've done quite a bit, you know, uh, th- throughout your career, but you've built a lot of professional, uh, sales development teams at multiple different companies how how did you start to do that? Like how were you able to go in and just open up new relationships or new opportunities with prospects?
1: Yeah, no, that's a good question cuz I uh when I finally got my foot in the door in the technology field, I was at Glassdoor um when they first started and um we were trying to go to market and get in front of HR professionals with um, an interesting product. (laughs) Glassdoor makes their money from um, selling job advertisements, and then you can buy your profile and set it up the way that you want to um, as a company. At least that's how they made money back then. Um, You can't delete the bad reviews. um, And so just to blow up that you know myth um if you buy your profile you can't delete your bad reviews so it was a, it was a tough sell and um when i joined glassdoor we started uh, as renaissance reps so we were just uh handling the whole uh, gamut of the sales process from prospecting to closing to um you know taking care of the customers um at that point in the in in the company's life cycle and I had been trained, um, you know, so intensely at achieve global that you, you've got to fill your pipeline and keep your pipeline, uh, full, you know, uh, consistently by performing prospecting activities every day, rain or shine that I came in and, you know, within a couple of months, I, I got the reputation of being someone who could set their own appointments and and you know find qualified appointments on my own um at that point there there was no marketing or very few leads where they were i think just going to trade shows and stuff like that so i set that reputation and at the same time uh, a book called predictable revenue came out um, which made a huge impact on me and um, it, it as probably everyone's read it that's on the call but um, it laid out how Salesforce had set up their sales development team or really had set up their whole sales team um, and bro- broken out sales development, sales and customer success into three you know, distinct buckets. And they were able to really accelerate their their uh, go to market strategy. And so I took that book and some printed out blog posts into the VP of sales and just pitched, hey, man, let me start a sales development team here at the company. And, um, you know, let me take some of the burden off the plate of the sales reps and, you know, start getting some, uh, meetings set up. And, you know, at that time it was very startup situation and they, they gave me a chance to do that. And they just basically said like, dude, you've got a month or something like that. They were (laughs) very like, um, we'll try it and see what happens. And just over the course of a year, um, we got more and more successful, set up all the programs. And um, I I got um, the support of the VP to be able to hire people and bring people on and start building up a team and just build it up from scratch. So, um, you know, again, lifelong learning, man, I mean, and taking initiative, like get in there and uh, pitch things because you never know. It, It was a big turning point for me in my career to do that.
0: I feel like we have a lot in common, man. I uh, <laughs> I, I actually had Mary Lou Tyler, one of the co-authors of Predictable Revenue on the show, uh, a few, probably, I don't know, six or seven weeks ago. But uh, I told her, I'm like, look, your book, Predictable Revenue, it, it started my career or desire to do this like appointment setting piece of the business. Because to me, in my opinion, setting your own appointments is the hardest job in sales. But if you master it, you will always have a full pipeline and you'll always be one of the top salespeople there are. So I, I encourage everyone, including those senior sales executives that have been around forever, still spend some amount of your time prospecting. So I, I absolutely love that. What were some of the initial challenges that you had as you built out that team and, and were starting to set the appointments? Because you, you were having success on your own, right? Setting your own appointments. But how, what were some of those challenges you had as you built out that first team? Oh, man. Okay. So (laughs) um, a few
1: things top of mind. Uh, This was before your your sales loft, your outreach, your persist era. Right. And so um, if you're not familiar with those, those are programs that were built from the ground up to support sales development reps and, uh, you know, give them a, a regular cadence or a sequence so that they could follow um, along and kind of have a to-do list every day when they walked in. So I would say that my, my first challenge and God, I wish I would have come up with the idea of sales loft and outreach. I'd probably be retired by now. Um, but my first thing was just like, I was on spreadsheets and post-it notes and, you know, sales, I had Salesforce, but you know, it's, it's not great for prospecting. It's not set up the way that those cadence systems are. So it was just like getting everything dialed in and figured out. And, um, I had to kind of go in and learn how to use Salesforce on the back end, and, and how we, we had Marketo, um, this is like five years ago and, uh, or whatever. And, and, um, learning how Marketo works with Salesforce. And I'd never been much of a tech guy or an operations guy. It was, um, You know, it just hadn't been something in my uh, workflow. So I had to go in and figure out how to set up all that stuff and run the reports and build dashboards and stuff like that. So that was a big challenge, just like kind of becoming a sales ops guy um, while at the same time having to continually produce, you know, high quality meetings. And then, you know, the whole interaction of um, setting up a meeting and and figuring out what was considered a qualified meeting for the sales reps and you know get- getting credit and um you know building pipeline that was solid um you know by pitching meetings over the fence to other people and and figuring out what they like and what they don't like and stuff like that and um yeah, I got all the scars to prove it. I mean now I'm a huge advocate of um service level agreements <laughs> between sales development and the sales team so that everybody's on the same page. I think that's thing number one. I actually talked about that at the Rainmaker conference this year in Atlanta, um, because, you know, if you don't have a service level agreement, then you have those situations where the sales development rep sets up a meeting and then the sales uh, person doesn't want it or it goes off the rails and, you know, there's bad feelings and stuff like that. Um, So, you know, working through all that kind of stuff was, one of the challenges um and then you know managing a team of s d r s oh my god i mean
0: that that's comes with its own whole set of stuff, so yeah can i <laughs> can I tell you a quick fun story? yeah, so again, it's just the similarities between you and I are crazy. You said I wish I had come up with the idea for Salesloft. you might be retired by now, so I kid you not. After reading Predictable Revenue, I went to a buddy of mine who we worked at the same company, and he was the, the developer. He was a programmer. He built a very rough version of what ended up becoming uh, Salesforce for me, and we started using it, like this cadence-based tool at the company that I was working for it called Compendium, and it was working. It was having great success, and I started bringing like feature requests to him, like, okay, we need to do this, this, and this, and one day he just stopped, and he said, Jim, this is a spam engine. I'm done, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, you have no idea what you are about to walk away from," and it just really, really frustrated me. But two years later, I found uh, Sales Loft and it's we've been off to the races with them ever since. So um, it's just funny that that uh, that's how that that whole industry was built around that book. But um, David, I want to talk. Totally. I want to talk about the the SLAs, the service level agreements that you kind of brought up um, that you need to have between sales development and the sales teams. Uh, first of all, like how when you're at Glassdoor or, or any of these, but like, what was your pitch, right? Was your goal just to set appointments? Like, how were you getting people to take appointments that you were transitioning to a sales team?
1: Yeah. Okay. So there's a couple of things. One is on, on the service level agreements, they're the base basis for your sales development. Success. So I I would say if you don't have one, you know, and you're interested in sales development, sit down, or even if you're a salesperson, sit down and write one out. What are the three things that the sales development team is promising to deliver Um, as far as title, pain point, you know, they accepted the calendar invite, et cetera. And then what are the three things that the salesperson is, is promising to do? Um, You know before and after the call if there's not something written down Then it's all over the place because people are different. You know, you have no system Everyone's doing all these different things and one person is real happy with the meetings and the other person thinks the SDR team sucks So you got to get everybody on the same page. So that's that's the first thing that I that I would say and then You know to, to your second question Um, how do you, how do you get people to take meetings and things like that? Um, you know, the, the, (laughs) it was really challenging at Glassdoor because nobody had heard of Glassdoor at that time. And our pitch was that, um, their business was on Glassdoor and we had analytics to say that they were getting, you know, 20,000 page views every day. Um, but when we would call them, they had never heard of Glassdoor before. So our pitch was, Hey, I'm calling to let you know that you've got 20,000 page views. People are really interested in your company. We, they're 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 leaving you know pictures. They're leaving reviews. All this stuff. What do you think? You want to talk to me? And they would go on there and look, and it says the the first review: This company sucks. <laughs> ouch! <laughs> and, ouch! And, imagine that conversation. So that was interesting. So, you know, um, it was, I guess it was kind of like the challenger sale of being like, do you know that this is happening? So you're actually, um, you know, challenging them with some information that they didn't have, um, which, you know, was pretty effective. It was a lot better than, Hey, you want to buy my product? I mean, you know, at least we we're coming at them with some, some Intel, um, which could be construed as value. Um, so it did open up a lot of doors to be honest and they're, they're doing well. I mean, I don't know if they still have the same pitch, but they're still around and, um, they're the, the business is growing. So, um,
0: the, yeah, that, that was one thing that opened up some doors. Yeah, so you, you had talked a lot about, you know, when you were getting that team started, a lot of the tools that you had to get set up and you know, that kind of stuff, we just talked about outreach and, and sales loft and, and whatnot. I actually just had Matt Millen from outreach on the show a couple of weeks ago and I've had Derek grant previously, but. I feel like there are a lot of tools out there, David, that are promising efficiencies in the sales process. But as I, as I hear the value props, like I'm just starting to hear, hey, this is the silver bullet that's going to solve all your problems. And, and as you, I mean, at least my experience is that there are no silver bullets, but what have you done um, with the teams that you've built to, to pick the right stack uh, of, of sales tools? Yeah,
1: I mean, I I see that all the time, and it actually feeds my family <laughs> to be honest. Because um, people come in and and they they're like, "Dude, we bought you know this tool and that tool, and the, everybody said that everything was going to be great, but it's actually, it's it's like you're just plugging a bunch of stuff in. And the main thing that I would think about is building your strategy first, and taking it even a, a layer back and understanding the buyer first and where they are having pain and where they're communicating, where they're hanging out and what, you know, ways of communication they are looking for. Getting all that information down and then building the strategy and then plugging in the tools. Um, Because I don't know what it's like out there, but out here it's, um, okay, I need a sales development team, buy a bunch of tools, hire a bunch of people, put them in the sales floor, and, you know, hey, just add water, get some results. And the phenomenon of the silent sales floor happens where it's basically a bunch of people sitting around trying to figure out what the heck is going on with all these things and how they work and how they use them and stuff like that. Um, So yeah, again, buyer first, figure them out, figure out where they hang out, figure out where their pain points are, figure out how your product solves those. Next, sales development strategy. How are we going to you know, enter that conversation and introduce, you know,
0: how we can help people out. Third tools. I like how you started to, to frame all that stuff. And I also love that you said it, that's how it feeds your family because it, it could not be more accurate. I see it all the time. So it's just the same out here. I think a lot of teams, um, you know, they, they, they find the playbooks of the successful companies They're like, Oh, well, I'll just steal the playbook and I'll do exactly what they did. But that's just like, Building software that's ripping off someone else, right? Like if you don't understand the why behind the the stack that you're doing or the playbook that you're trying to run, it's not going to work. So I, I love the way you frame that. So it, all of this, all these tools and, and and software and the stuff like that leads right into what we're talking about: this silent sales floor. I've seen you write about it. I'm experiencing it with the clients that I work with. But you asked this question is, is your sales floor more like a library or a revenue machine, but what is leading to this silent sales culture? I don't get it. Yeah, it's funny.
1: It's a lot of things. I mean, you know um, I think that, uh, you know, thing number one is you're plugging in a lot of different tools And you're putting all this power into the hands of someone who might've just graduated from college a few years ago. They've never run a business. They've never been in the chair of your buyer and had to figure out the problems and you're, you've given them all this information, all these tools, all these things that they can go through. And you're just like, Hey man, here you go. Like go set some meetings and they're sitting there going, okay, this figuring out this mess that's in front of me is is time consuming and hard and i got to figure out how these tools work together what value they're giving me in my workflow um you know what information i can get it's confusing so that's thing number one it's just like overwhelm of the of the sales development team of trying to figure out all this stuff you know next is that uh you know they're they're uh, on one hand, trying to gather information points that they can use in their messaging um, to, you know, have some kind of impact. So in other words, they're going to LinkedIn, they're going to Google, they're going to like 10K reports, they're uh, going to the 20 other things that they have, and they're trying to pull out some information that would appeal to the buyer in a message. That's great. The only thing is they're, they have to research for half of the day, to, to send out these super high quality messages. So again, uh, the, it's super quiet. And then finally, there's the classic thing we've had all ever since we've been in sales, and ever since the invention of sales, is call relu- reluctance. Um, the classic call reluctance of just um, you know associating calls with pain, you know psychologically, of someone's going to be mean to me if I call. And so I'll go into a conference room and make my calls or I'll not make calls and I'll just do like the emails all day. Um, so that's the third thing. And you put them, mix them all together and you just walk around and you're just like, what the hell is going on here? There's nothing going on. It's just tap, tap, tap of um, people on the computer.
0: You you said a phrase there. I will just go into the conference room to make my calls. I, my blood started to boil when you when you said that because – Every team that I've worked with, when I start to see that, I'm just like, whoa, stop, come back to your desk, have the call right here so that we can all hear you, so that we can understand what you say, so that we can see if we would do things differently, so that we can steal from you what's working. Maybe even put it on speakerphone so that we all can hear the other side of the conversation. Like, I do not understand this dissipation of going into rooms and just being quiet. Like, I, man, you got me. You got me going. You got me going, David.
1: No, dude, never go into a conference room to make calls. Make it out on the floor so the other your other friends you know, that are there that are struggling can at least hear one side of the conversation. Know what I mean? And the, the other thing about the silent sales floor is that a lot of research is coming out right now that open sales floors are are not good. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're like, everyone's getting distracted. They're embarrassed. They're looking over their, um that, Humans have a natural t- tendency to look and see what the other guy's doing. Who just walked in, who's coming out, all this stuff. I mean, it's, Hey, I'm going to go out on a limb here in 2017. Bring back the cubicle, man. Get the cubicle back in, you know, it's good because you, you, the cubicle is the best of both. One, you've got your own little space that you can you know have the quietness so it doesn't sound like you're in a call center, but at the same time you know there's there's energy on the floor, people are popping up, people are on the phone it's fun, it's exciting, um, you know at least bring back those little partitions in between you know mm-hmm. so so there's some call there's some voice you know cancellation, so the you know because that's the number one thing that you hear is like, well, it sounds like a call center or it sounds like, you know, I'm calling from, you know, the San Francisco Chronicle, you know, to sell you a subscription. Well, all right. So we need some voice cancellation. So I don't know, put up, put up some walls or something, (laughs) but Let's, let's hear it, man.
0: Yeah, t- totally with you on that. And, and I think this goes back to what we talked about earlier, being uh, a little bit introverted. Like I said, I, I am. I want a little bit of my own privacy, but uh, not to the fact that people can't hear me, but I do get distracted by the movement and everybody moving around. And this person comes in and just, if I could just have my own little space, right, to, to, to effectively do what I need to do. But David, yeah. I, th- I think some of what you're saying, though, is there is a natural fear Right in people, but where does that fear come from? Well, I mean, I, I think it comes from you know just ch- your childhood.
1: I mean, you're you're constantly um, you know told no. You know, as you're growing up, don't do this, don't do that. Be careful. Don't walk on there. I, I find myself doing it with my own kids. Don't do that. Don't do that. And eventually, the word no is associated with so much pain and um you know that that you you, you want approval and so you, you you know you're you're psychologically driven toward approval and then somebody comes along and says here call these people and most of them are gonna be mean to you and you're just like i don't want to do that you know um and the <laughs> so it's like I, that doesn't sound very good and so i think that you know one one of the great um philosophies that's out there for sales, if you haven't heard from it is try to turn no around and go for no. Um, there's a book out there, go for no. Um, and you know, when I tell sales development reps this, they, they, they look at me like I'm from outer space, but it's, it's super helpful. I use it in my own business where you go, you know what, instead of like, going for yes and trying to get approval for somebody. I'm going to get probably disappointed on like every call that I do make a goal to to have a hundred people say no to you today. And they're just like, what, what are you talking about? Because no has always been such a negative connotation. Obviously, you know, you're getting shut down. So, you know, the, the, the thought process behind the philosophy is go for no. Um, Whenever somebody tells you no, that actually checks a box off for you. And it's actually a good thing because now you can move on and you can iterate on your speech. You can work on your pitch. You can figure out what, what went wrong for them to tell you no. And if they say yes, awesome. Because that's, you know, the goal in the background is to get them to do something. Um, And so, and what it does also, it's like, okay, you know, instead of making a goal, I'm going to get five appointments today. It's like, I'm going to get a hundred people to tell me, no, even if you hit the five appointments, you still haven't hit your no goal.
0: So you got to keep going (laughs) and maybe you'll hit 10 appointments. You know, there's, there's real, there's actual psychology about that. But, but from the opposite standpoint of what you're saying, right? So if people can actually develop this framework of getting to know it will actually open up so many doors for them because of what could happen. And so as you, you started to say, right, when you hear no, it's not no forever. It's not no go away. It's just no, right? And it, and if you can use that to get more context to support the no, oh my gosh, some really valuable things uh, start to happen. There's a book I'm just going to recommend it to you. If you haven't read it, it's fantastic and uh, and ties up a lot of the stuff you said. Never split the difference. Have you heard of it? No, nope. highly, highly recommend it. One of the best books on negotiation I've ever read in my life, but it's from a former uh, director of FBI intelligence um, who was a negotiator for terrorism and hostages and also volunteered his time on the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. And he talks about how he uses those frameworks of no's to get to what he ultimately desired to have. It's a great book.
1: No, I'll ch- I'll check it out. I mean, I, I think that you know that's the other thing don't just don't just take the no and go okay i'm going to go get my next no i mean you got to right. have a framework like i definitely want to check out that book because with every conversation that you're having you're gathering intel why did they say no right and trying to make your pitch and your your program better for next time but i you know again to to your initial question you know people we're going against millions of years or whatever, thousands of years of evolution of human evolution. In that, you know, that you you never want to be an outcast from the the tribe or from the herd. You know, you don't want to be the worst thing that you could happen as a cave person is if you were like exiled from the thing because you're you're not going to eat. You're out in the wilderness. You're going to get eaten probably by some wild animal. And over thousands of years, we've had this thing where. You don't want to do anything different. You don't want to get rejected. You you want to go in with the herd because that's that's how we evolved. That's why we were successful as a species. And so this stuff is hard, man. I mean, I'm not telling you like it's super easy. I get up and wrestle with it every day to go out and hustle new business. But there are, you know, different philosophies like like reframing your reference toward no that can help
0: you, you know, get around that and work on it. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. David, hey, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And sales tuners, you don't go either. We'll be right back. Sales tuners, I want to tell you about Costello, a new product I've been exploring for discovery calls. One of the things I hear most from VPs of sales is their frustration with the lack of consistency and transparency from their reps in the discovery process. If that's you, you need to check out Costello. Costello guides reps to ask the right questions, provides them with dynamic suggestions, automatically updates Salesforce, and even makes it easy to form the habits that ultimately close more deals. For a demo, head to andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. David, are you ready for the money round? Dude, let's make some money. That's right. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Oh, geez, man. Okay, so I think that self-awareness,
1: knowing myself, and how I deal with fear, and just understanding that if I'm feeling fearful towards something, ask questions understand it. What is it that's making me afraid of the situation and understand that the fear is always going to be there, especially when I'm trying to go big and do something big that's going to take my life to the next level. Don't let it stop me or paralyze me. Understand what it is and just understand it's part of life
0: and move forward. I like that. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell your 22-year-old self to spend the next 30 days doing? Oh man,
1: I mean I would say, you know, why why climb the ladder of, you know, the corporate ladder, the you know, the ladder of the, your company instead of just owning the building, man. I mean, I would be the owner of the business from day 1 and have other people, you know, working for you versus trying to, you know, crawl your way up the corporate ladder because it's an amazing feeling. I'm just regretful that I waited
0: so long to do it. Sure. Sure. David, what's a two-part question here for you. Uh, Which phrase describes you best and why I love to win or I hate to lose? Uh, I love, well, I love to win, man,
1: because I want to get the goodies and be able to, you know, have a good time. So
0: definitely I love to win. Got it. What's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? Oh, so many. Uh,
1: You know, one thing, one that not a lot of people have have heard of is called The Slight Edge. Um, And the guy's name is Jeff Olson, I believe. And uh, The Slight Edge goes into looking at your daily routine and what you're doing every day and how it compounds over a long period of time to lead to success. So getting really really focused on your daily routine and making sure that you're listening to the angel on your shoulder versus the devil, more more <laughs> more on the angel side and getting really deliberate about your your daily routine because it's
0: compounding every day and it's either bringing you up or bringing you down. Sales Tuners, if you would like to check out David's suggestion of The Slide Edge for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. David, what's something you believe that nearly no one agrees with you on?
1: Um, You know, at the top of my head, I not, I don't know if nobody agrees with me on it, but I think there's, there's way, way too much negativity in, in our society right now. And, and people, um, you know, pointing fingers and blaming and, and, uh, you know, trying to pin their hopes on some thing that's happening in the government or in the economy and all this stuff. And, and I, I get it. I mean, if you're focused on that, that's, what's going to happen. But, for me, every day I wake up in intense gratitude that I was born in what I consider the best country on earth. I have every opportunity out in front of me, and it's really just up to me to grab it and and build an amazing life for myself and for my family. And I, I just feel very passionate and I guess you could say patriotic and lucky to be here because you know it's it's just an amazing country and it's an amazing time and and uh I'm very passionate about it I know that there's a lot of problems and stuff like that but I don't focus on that I just focus on the opportunities and you know I'm sure that people would pin stuff on me for saying that but uh, dude I think it's awesome to be here and it's awesome to be alive and I'm sticking to it, man.
0: <laughs> I think that's a great outlook to have. And I agree with you. So uh, what's the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding?
1: I would just say, you know, take 100% responsibility for everything in your life, even the stuff that you can't help, um, you know, if and it's, you know there's a ton of stuff out there that you can't control but there's also a lot of stuff that you can control and that's like listening to stuff like this learning stuff putting new routines in take 100% responsibility for everything for your happiness for your relationships for your health for your job and um you know get rid of all blame and excuses and just focus on what you can control 100% and uh you know just keep moving forward no matter what happens
0: I'm going to get you out of here on this one, David. How could someone find you or connect with you if they wanted to after the show?
1: Oh, man. Uh, you know what? If you're walking around, and your sales floor is dead. There's nothing coming in. Um, nobody's on the phone. Give me a call or shoot me an email. You just go to tenbound.com, T-E-N-B-O-U-N-D.com. Or you can hit me up on David Delaney. That's D-U-L-A-N-Y.com. And I'll get back to you immediately. And definitely, if you're on the West Coast, um, we're going to have a sales development management meetup. It's in downtown San Francisco at the LinkedIn San Francisco office. Um, it's June 15th, starts at 530. There's going to be food and bev provided. And uh, we're going to have a a knockdown brawl, uh, social selling versus cold calling. We're finally going to get to the bottom of this debate, which one works better, and, uh, and we've got some very animated and passionate folks on both sides. So I hope that you can check it out. Sales Development Management Meetup, June 15th in downtown San Francisco.
0: If it wasn't a plane flight away, I would be there because that sounds absolutely fantastic. David, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate uh, your time today. Uh, you got it, man. That was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. I had a lot of fun in my conversation with David. It was kind of humorous how many very specific things we had in common, and I'm looking forward to growing my relationship with him. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one everybody is in sales. Personality can take you so far. Introvert or extrovert doesn't matter and doesn't define you as a salesperson. What does is how you sell. And no matter what you end up doing, you are in sales, whether that means selling your ideas to your boss, selling coworkers on a new approach to a problem, or directly selling a service to a customer. Everything starts with sales. Number two, break the silence. I've been in enough sales rooms to tell you the silence is absolutely deafening today. On one end, you've got a whole bunch of brand new salespeople with no business acumen and a whole bunch of tools in their hands that they have to also try to figure out. And on the other end, you've got more experienced reps going into conference rooms to quote unquote make their calls. All of this has got to stop. Let's work together out loud to move the needle. Number three, go for no. It's one thing to know you're going to hear no a lot. It's something else entirely and how you approach it. Instead of making it a goal to set five appointments, make it a goal to get 100 people to tell you no. Now, even if you get to your goal of five appointments, you have to keep going because you haven't gotten your 100 no's yet. Want to see the immediate impact of this? For the next week, try to get 20 no's a day in your personal life. Ask for your coffee for free. Ask for a discount on your lunch. Ask your cable provider if they can lower your bill. You'll be surprised what happens when you just start asking. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions you'd like me to ask our guests, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at salestuners.com. Be sure to sign up for our email list where we send out our expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to SalesTuners stay up to date at www.salestuners.com and don't forget to subscribe rate and review us on iTunes and they stay there hey.